Welcome to The Hoop Commitment. I'm your host, Mike Nielsen. Join me every week to get inside the greatest minds in basketball nutrition, training, and leadership to elevate your game and improve the way you eat, train, and lead. Welcome to episode 96. Well, it's official. I'm back playing Sunday Hoops, and just like the song says, it hurts so good. My lungs burn and my legs feel like they're stuck in cement. But man, it feels so good to be back with my friends. I had my six-month checkup with my cardiologist, and they gave me the green light to play hoops. So I started with a little half-court three-on-three a few weeks ago, and finally got back to playing full court five on five this week. It's amazing how good basketball is for my mind and spirit. No matter what I'm stressed out about, the problem seems more manageable after running up and down the court for an hour. And of course, being with Stocks and the rest of the guys is just good for the soul. And today's guest is another close friend who has spent countless hours with me on the court, getting shots up and playing one-on-one. Stephen Gentry played basketball for the Zags in the early 2000s and has finally returned as our new assistant men's basketball coach. In between, he's coached at Texas A&M, SF Austin, the Miami Heat, Oklahoma State, and most recently with the number one seeded Fighting Illini. And so today, we took a trip down memory lane as I asked him about walking on at GU and how that impacted his coaching career. He shared leadership and life lessons from every coaching stop he's had and gave aspiring basketball players advice on how to be their best. Here's Coach Stephen Gentry. Steve, welcome to the Hoop Commitment Podcast. How are you doing? Doing great, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Well, all of this has come full circle because it was probably 15 years ago we were playing one-on-one out on the, uh, the day court, the old kennel, and now you're back again. So it's uh, so fun to have a friend and a former teammate and a, uh, just a zag through and through here. I wouldn't say we were playing one-on-one. I, w- I would say you were beating me one-on-one mercifully every single time we play. I don't think I ever beat you. But uh, yeah, it is kind of funny just how things come full circle here. And to be a former walk-on and now come back as a coach is a pretty incredible journey. Well... I, I'm a pretty good one-on-one player. I wish I was a better five-on-five player, you know? Like, it just, it's amazing how those, they do correlate, but not 100%. We had, we had some battles, didn't we? Yeah, we had some battles, some full-court one-on-one, <laughs> and um, a lot of time in the gym together, so. Well, let's go back to the beginning. Tell me about how you fell in love with hoops and your journey as a kid. Yeah, I think I fell in, in love with basketball at a really, really young age, you know, probably when I was like four or five. You know, I grew up an hour and a half from um, the University of Kansas. Both my parents went to school there. So I just grew up a diehard Kansas Jayhawk and can just always remember being out on my back deck playing on a little eight-foot hoop and just imagining I was a Kansas basketball player. I'd watch all their games. And and then my mom was a, a middle school teacher, and so I always had a key to the gym and was just always in there. And... I guess I maybe have like a really obsessive personality, but I would just always remember being a gym rat, you know, at the the very youngest of ages and just became obsessed with the game of basketball and playing and working and um, again, watching a lot of basketball and then try to emulate those players. But um, yeah, I just 
uh, at a very, very young age, I just became really immersed in the game of basketball. When did he know that you wanted to play in the college level? I think always. I mean, I think that was something I was always aspiring to. Um, you know, again, growing up by Kansas, being in a basketball state like Kansas, you know, um, I always had that that itch and that that bug. You know, and I think then obviously you start getting in high school and you start wanting to be, you know, recruited and you want to play at the highest of levels and, you know, see where the game can really, really take you. So, yeah, I think I always knew in the back of my mind I wanted to try to get to the, the highest possible level and, and see where this game could take me. Who are the people that were most influential in your basketball career at a younger age? Did you have an AAU coach, a high school coach? Was your parents helping you in the gym? Yeah, I would say, well, like, Probably indirectly, my mom, just again, because she was uh, a teacher. So, you know, Saturday morning, she'd be in at work up at the school and I'd just tag along and, and be at the gym, you know, until she was ready to go. So it's kind of funny just how my work ethic um, on the court was maybe always tied into her work ethic, you know, there up at the school, you know, as, as, a, as a teacher. Um, I also had an older brother who was four years older than me that you know was a really good player himself, was a multi-time um, you know, all-state player in the state of Kansas. So I think always looking up to him, you know, and try to emulating you know his game and uh, and we didn't really ever work out together. It was just kind of that age discrepancy that didn't really work out, but we had our, our fair share of battles um, in the backyard, most of them ending up in fights. But so I'd say my mom, my brother, and then I, I had terrific high school coaches. Dave Regan, who's now since passed along the way, just had a tremendous impact on me, you know, as a person and as a player and just really instilled that passion um, and that work ethic for the game, you know, in, in me once I got into high school. And you chose to come to Gonzaga. Were you disowned by all your friends and family who are Jayhawk fans? My brother ended up going to KU. Both my parents, my grandparents went there. My grandparents lived right by campus. You know, so yeah, I think they're always trying to kind of push me that way. But um, I was just dead set on being a Zag. You know, when I was in high school is when you guys were first making those runs back in 99 and 2000. And I don't know, I just, I just fell in love with Gonzaga. And again, I'm kind of a, a single-minded, obsessive person. And as much as I fell in love with the game of basketball at a young age, I then fell in love with, with Gonzaga. The more I studied it and uh, the more the team was, was making those deep runs, and I was just dead set on, you know, I, I wanted to go to Gonzaga. I wanted to be a Zag. Well, one of the many things we have in common is we were both walk-ons. How hard was it to come here from across the country? I'm sure you didn't know a whole lot of people. And I know when I came to campus, everyone's bigger, faster, stronger. You're trying to make a name for yourself. How difficult was that transition from high school to the next level? No, it was a, it was a difficult one. But my story even probably goes even further back. I mean, there's, you know, there's levels to being a walk-on. You know, there's the kind of preferred walk-on or the invited walk-on. I was neither. I remember when I came out on a visit in the spring, um, I'd gotten to know a young assistant at the time, you know, Tommy Lloyd had kind of struck up a relationship with him and I was essentially just bugging him to death, um, you know, to give me a walk-on spot. And so I came out for a visit. I think one of the few times in my life I'd ever traveled by myself and went cross country just for this visit out here. And, um, you know, Tommy had set up some different meetings, you know, for me. And one of the first ones was um, an admissions director at Gonzaga. And he was like, oh, you'll, you'll never make the team. Like you, you won't be able to play here. And then, you know, Tommy and I wrapped up the visit and he's like, hey, 
you know, you're probably not going to be able to walk on here at Gonzaga, but you know, there's this D3 school in, in Whitworth, um, you know, that you should maybe start looking at. And he actually had, um, the Whitworth coach take me to the airport at the end of my visit. And I was so pissed off. Like Tommy probably didn't even know it, that that made me want to come to Gonzaga even more, you know, between the admissions director and, and Tommy trying to pawn me off, you know, to a different school. is like, no, I'm, I'm coming to Gonzaga. Well, I came here and, um, you know, at that point they had, they had like 17 or 18 players on the team. That was the year where Tommy was kind of running separate practices with the red shirts. I think there were like seven red shirts that year. Um, so I didn't make the team. My first year, you know, I'm, uh, I'm in the stands just like everyone else and was just a normal student, but came to every single practice and watched. Uh, my grades probably suffered because of that, but uh, came to every practice and watched and kept bugging the death out of, uh, out of Tommy. Worked out with Richie Fromm, who was rehabbing, you know, a broken foot at the time and, and eventually just kind of worked my way uh, onto actually the, the team and the roster. It's amazing that you just never took no for an answer. And that's probably why we became such good friends was because you were always down at the gym and always available and willing and ready to play one-on-one, to get shots up, to do whatever drill I wanted to do. You're like, I'm in. And I vividly remember that too. Like, you know, a lot of people don't know how it works behind the scenes, but all the guys that are starting, all the scholarship players, they're going to get into the open gym runs. And then if you're the walk-on or if you're trying to make the team, you might not see the court that day. And you were always there, regardless of whether you got in, and you were always ready shooting. And, you know, that takes a, a lack of ego, I think, to be able to show up day after day. Were there days where you just were like, you know what, they don't want me here, I'm folding up shop? Or were you always, it was like, was quitting ever an option for you? I, I think there were, um, there were certain days you know, where golly, you show up to play pickup and you, you don't even, you don't get in at all. You know, not even, not only getting a shot, like you don't even get in. And, um, you're like, golly, is this, is this ever going to work out? I'm ever even going to make the team. I think it was hard too, being further away from home. Then all of a sudden you hear the whispers from home. Oh gosh, you made the wrong decision. You should have gone here or there. And I don't know. Yeah. It's just it looking back on it. It kind of, um, I'm kind of in awe of myself back then, you know, being a, an 18, 19 year old kid and just how, um, how much I did persevere through so many of those different obstacles, um, just to even make, uh, the team. I'm kind of in awe of it all, but there were some tough days for sure. And even tough days, once you do even make the roster, you know, you're just battling and practice every single day and you're literally never getting in the games. And, but I, I, I don't know. I feel like it was always going to serve a, a bigger, bigger purpose. And I, I can still remember uh, uh, talking to my dad, you know, they came up on a visit, you know, to watch a couple games. And of course I didn't get in, you know, and I was like, man, dad, this is just so tough. Like, he's like, well, Hey, God's got a bigger purpose for you. And I always kind of remember that, like, okay, God's got a bigger purpose than just, you know, whether or not I get in these games at, at, at Gonzaga. So I think that kind of always pushed me too. What were some of the dark times or the low points? Are there ones that stick out in those early years or even all the way through your college career? I have a few of mine where I actually called my parents up and I wanted to quit <laughs> and they wouldn't let me quit. You know, I was like, I'm done. The coaches are this or that. And, and my parents kind of walked me off the ledge. Hey, let's finish out this semester. And without them, I definitely would have made it, would not have made it. Did he have any of those really tough times that you were able to overcome? Yeah, I think there were there were two for me. I think 
um, the first one was my second year here, or excuse me, going into my third year. Um, so my first year, I wasn't on the team at all. Um, my second year I was, but I was just practicing. My third, it was probably going down that same path where I was literally just going to practice. I wasn't even suiting up. I wasn't going to travel. And I was like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Just another year of, you know, not even being able to suit up. And I remember it was the first day of the uh, exhibition season and they still hadn't told me, you know, whether you're on the official roster or you're suiting up. And I was like, man, if, if we're already playing exhibition games and they haven't told me, I'm, I'm probably not, I'm not suiting up this year. So I was all pissed off and frustrated and I head to the exhibition game. I'm, you know, I'm in, you know, slacks and a polo and I'm going to be sitting on the bench again. And I walk into the locker room and, uh, and, and coach rice, Leon rice, uh, walked in and was like, Hey, you know, I, I tore my pants. I'm going to need to borrow your, your khaki pants. I'm like, here we go. Like, not only am I not suiting up, now I have to sit probably on the bench like in shorts and have to give my pants, you know, to one of these assistant coaches. And, and, and Leon's like, well, hey, uh, you give me your khaki pants and here's a uniform. You know, so it went from like one of the lowest points to, golly, I'm not suiting up to, wow, um, you know, now I get to suit up. And even that night, I, I think I scored my career high at like seven points, you know, <laughs> and so... Um, so that was a really cool twist of, of fate there. And then the other one for me was going into my fifth year here. I had already gotten my degree. Um, I, I was kind of interested in working on my master's, but I was like, man, maybe it's, maybe it's time for me just to, to move on, you know, and, and not do another year of walking on. I was hardly playing. So that was, that was probably the, the, the next toughest one. I was like, no, I came in with this group together. I'm going to finish it you know, and, and see this thing through and, and, and actually got my master's in one year and then kind of put a bow on, on everything. We went out with a sweet 16 and, and got my master's. So, um, those are probably the two that stand out to me in terms of the toughest points of it all. Now, I know we can never tell what would have, you know, changed in the future if we had made different decisions in the past, but do you think there's any chance of you being on the staff right now, if you didn't come and play basketball here, or if you would have quit after the first or second year? Zero. Ab absolutely zero. And that's where it's my path has been. I've been so fortunate maybe just to kind of, you know, barrel through those doors and get over those hurdles. And, and, and once I got a little bit further on in my career, I was like, you know, I almost had to convince myself, like, hey, I'm, I'm doing this to open up doors coaching wise. Um, and once I got to about my junior year, you know, I almost kind of took a step back at practice and was like, okay, and sought more from a coach's perspective. And even on the bench, I started seeing it way more as a coach perspective. And it's, again, it kind of goes back to that, um, you know, God has big plans. You're like, I think God put me in those positions of, of being on the bench, you know, to, to be able to observe a lot at practice, to be able to observe in games. And even to where I got on my senior year, um, we were in timeouts and stuff. I'd be like, what, what play would I run? What, what change would I make? And I think those experiences um, have helped me and served me throughout, you know, the rest of, of, of my career. And I don't probably even get my first opportunity in coaching with the Miami Heat if it isn't the, you know, the experience and the connections, um, you know, that I forged here at, at Gonzaga. Tell me how that story went. So some point in your college career, you start thinking, I want to be a coach when this is all said and done. And so I love that shift because I coached my son's eighth grade basketball team. It is a total different way to look at the game, the way I looked at the game for the first 30 years of my life. 
And now as I'm coaching, you know, I, I don't know what to do when you're down by one with, you know, 10 seconds left on the shot clock. Just whatever Coach Few said, that's what I would do. And so yeah. to, to think through those things has been a, a huge learning curve for me. Tell me about that process from graduating and then moving into the coaching world. Yeah, I think it even started for me again that junior year. That, that junior year, I just got really big into like, hey, I, I want to be a coach, you know, and and even furthermore, I got to start making plans, um, you know, to get into coaching. So that junior year, I was emailing anyone and, and everyone in the NBA, um, anyone I could get a hold of, any connection I could make, and just kind of, again, kind of like I bugged Tommy to death to get on the Gonzaga roster. I was, I was just bugging NBA front office people, you know, to, to, to get me an internship. And um, through one of those connections, I started emailing with a young assistant with the Miami Heat called, named Eric Spolstra. And we kind of had the same WCC connection. You know, he had played at Portland, um, those kind of Pacific Northwest connections there. And I pretty much bugged him, you know, for two years uh, about an internship. And, and finally, once I graduated, I uh, went down for an interview, got the, got the job and um, got my first gig into coaching. Well, you've been at a lot of schools. I want to kind of, you know, touch on some of the other places you've been. But being in the NBA has to be a total unique beast. What were some of the differences that you've noticed now being in all different Division I programs? What are some of the differences that you see in the NBA between some of the skill training or the, the preparation type pieces? Yeah, and I think um, it is. It is totally different. To me, it's a totally different lifestyle as well. I remember it was my first day with the Miami Heat, you know, and I really wanted to make a good impression. And so I was like, well, hey, I'm going to get up early and I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the first guy in the office. And so it's a little after six o'clock in the morning and I'm driving across Biscayne Bay, you know, to go to the Miami Heat Arena and I, and I get a call on my cell phone and uh, it, it's our, like our assistant video coordinator. And he's like, hey, w where are you? I'm like, well, hey, I'm, I'm actually, you know, getting up bright and early. I'm, I'm headed into the office thinking, you know, that I'm going to beat everyone into the office. And he's like, well, hey, we've been here for a half hour. You know, you're late. <laughs> I was like whoa okay and i do i walk in that first day and the the building's on fire and there, I mean, there's just people everywhere uh, moving and shaking and working and so i was like whoa and and that's a little bit specific to the mind heat and that culture um it is a, a, a grinded out you know hard-nosed culture kind of trickling down from from coach riley so i think it's a big lifestyle um, difference but i was totally immersed in film work in analytics um, in skill development at a, at, at a whole nother level that I had ever experienced. Just, I think the difference between college athletics and professional, I mean, pros that are making millions and millions of dollars and coaches, I, it was just a whole nother level and totally opened up my eyes to that world, especially, especially film, you know, because as a player, you know, you only, you only watch film, you know, a day or two before the game and that, that's all. Well, in the NBA, working in the film room, you're watching film round the clock and breaking it down. So that's where I think I really, really learned the film side and the preparation side of, of, of basketball. Did you learn that that was not the right spot for you or was, was there hope still that you wanted to stay in the NBA? What transitioned you to the college game? Yeah. So it really was opportunity. Um, so my internship was up, you know, kind of when the season was over, they let me stay on, you know, through the draft, which was at the end of June. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, am I going to have an opportunity or not? So I was starting to look for opportunities everywhere in the NBA and in, and in college. 
and finally got offered a spot um, to be a video coordinator at Texas A&M with a new coach at the time, Mark Turgeon, and pretty much accepted it on spot. I mean, it was the only opportunity I had. And it was then funny, though, the next day, the Miami Heat people kind of caught wind of that. And they're like, no, we want to hire you here. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, um, But I'd already kind of given my word um, to Texas A&M that I was going to go and, and had accepted it. And the, the people uh, with the Heat still give me still give me crap that I'm the only person that's walked into Coach Riley's office and, and told him no. Um, which again, you know, you're 23 years old and you're walking into a hall of famer's office and saying, no, I'm going elsewhere. It's again, you kind of look back on it now and kind of in awe of yourself. But, um, yeah, so I was on my way to, uh, to Texas A&M. And I got to see you here cause you guys played in the Spokane arena. You were nice enough to put me on the pass list and be able to check you out. That was so cool to see one of my friends being able to work his way up through the ranks and. You've been at how many schools since the Heat? So you were... Yeah, so Texas A&M, Stephen F. Austin, Oklahoma State, Illinois, and now Gonzaga, so five. Tell me about some of the lessons that you've learned at some of these schools. You know, if you think about your last season at Illinois or Texas A&M, what were some of the big rocks that you've taken and that you're applying to your job here now? Yeah, and that's what I've tried to do is, I mean, I think the best basketball coaches are thieves, right? They kind of steal from from each coach and each program and then kind of make it uh, their own or take it with them to the to the next program they work at. Um, I mean, I think each one, one by one, I think, um, you know, with, with Mark Turgeon at, at A&M, I, I learned how to run a program. Just the detail that he had, um, the infrastructure that he had in his program, I think that was probably the biggest rock I took from that one is is how to structure your program you know looking back as my as a strength conditioning coach sometimes you learn all the techniques the plays the exercises but you don't have a place to put it because you don't have the the structure or the system so what a gift to be able to get as your first college job yeah and i think that was coach turgeon's biggest strength was he just he divvied up and put us all in our roles and and gave us a blueprint and a path to do those different roles and then it was his job to kind of fit them all together. And I think that was his genius there at, at Texas A&M. We had a good, we had a really good four year run. We made four NSA tournaments. And, um, so that was probably the biggest thing I took away, um, from him. The next one was, was Billy Kennedy, um, at Texas A&M. I learned probably balance from him. He was really religious, is really re- religious, you know, a, a big family man. And so as a young coach, I was go, 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 go. And, um, probably really transactional. And with, with Billy Kennedy, I learned kind of maybe the relationship side, um, of things and how to have a balance as a, as a family man and, 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 you know, in, in your, your religious life as well. From there, then I went to Stephen F. Austin with, with Coach Underwood and, um, I learned a lot of cuss words. <laughs> but, uh, no, I think I just learned from Coach's sheer grit. Um, you know, he's just a unbelievable motivator, pusher. I mean, we, that first year, his first year at Stephen F. Austin is probably as good of a coaching job I've, I've ever seen in terms of just flipping a, a culture and, and setting a program on its way. And it was a lot just through sheer grit and, and determination. Um, and then obviously I teamed back up with him you know, at, at Illinois as well. And and then I had that pit stop here at at Gonzaga. And I I think I always take away from coach view is he knows exactly who he is and he knows exactly how he wants the program to look. And, 
And if it doesn't impact winning or have anything to do with winning, he doesn't waste a single second on it. And just kind of that laser, you know, laser like approach to, to the program. I want to dig into that part because I've noticed, you know, it's really easy to sit back in my position. I've been here for a lot of years and be able to say, Oh, I would do this differently, you know, and question things. And obviously I would do it differently and we would not be, we would not be the Gonzaga that we know today. So he is, he's a genius at it. But that's one of the things I've noticed is, he does not waste time on the things that don't go to the bottom line. You know, he really focuses on the big factors, the big rocks. For a detailed guy like you, is, is, was that frustrating for, you know, he might not be concerned with whether the guys are going to show up at a certain time, but he will really be a stickler about something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how did you handle that piece of it? Yeah, that was, that was definitely different for me when I first came back. Um, as director of operations, I am so detail oriented and, you know, um, very pragmatic and, you know, bang, 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 you know, do things a certain way. But yet I think I took away from him. Um, it's still a results oriented business. You know, you still got to get results. And I think I learned that, that maybe the way he was doing things, maybe even actually helps get better results, um, you know, at the end of the day. And um, it was, again, personality wise, and it's still to this day is still you know, um, different for me, but I think also, I think as you build a staff, you also want to have people that do have different personalities and maybe do kind of have the creative guy or the detailed guy or, you know, whatever. And those things then all blend together. So, but no, yeah, I, I have, I've always taken away from coach view that again, it's about, it's about results at the end of the day. And, you know, again, that, that having that big picture thought in, in mind, is there something that stands out a time or a, um, you know, uh, a detail that you would think was really important. And he would say, who cares? You know, is there, is there any of those that kind of stick in your mind right now? Well, I think it's just, you know, like we don't have really practice plans here. You know I mean? I think it's all in his mind. I think he's got it all mapped out in his mind. And I mean, I still, when I do our workouts, you know, I, I type up, you know, our, our workout plans. And so when it's my day to do individuals, you know, I've got it all typed out and, and I've got my paper with me and, and going through it. And, and for him, it's a, in a team practice and it's, you know, all in his, all in his mind. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest thing that always stands out to me is just the, you know, how he doesn't even need a paper practice plan. He can always just do it, um, in his mind. But I think it's also then like, because he doesn't have a practice plan, whatever's happening on the court kind of leads to what we work on, you know, whereas maybe in my plan, I say, well, Hey, we're only going to spend 10 minutes on this ball screen drill. Well, in his mind, you Hey, we're probably not going to move on until we've, we've mastered it. Um, and I think that's just kind of two different ways of, you know, looking at a problem. And again, you can't, uh, can't knock his, his track record of success and, um, the way he gets to it. Seems like the other thing he's done a nice job and you kind of touched on it is having a staff around him that have different personalities, different thought processes. And what I've noticed even with me is, and this is kind of more our relationship, he is going to totally disagree with me 100%. He is going to be like, this is the stupidest idea. And then just give him 24 hours to 48 hours and he might come in and be like, hey, well, maybe we could do it this way or, you know, like, and he... It's almost like he wants to test you to see how confident are you in this thing. And if I hold my ground, he does think about it, you know, and if, if he pokes at me and I kind of back off, he's probably like, ah, it's not that important, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I think that's, um, he does really pick and prod and try to tear apart, 
you know, some suggestions and some ideas. And I think what I've always learned is if I ever bring a suggestion to them, it better be pretty darn good. And so I probably never really waste any time bringing any, you know, half-assed suggestions to him, you know, to where he's going to totally turn to shreds. And, and he does, he tries to really, you know, test you. That's just kind of how the, 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 the give and take that he likes to have, um, that dialogue he likes to have in terms of new ideas, but he's also really, you know, open to new ideas and you can kind of just take a step back and even look at how the programs evolved in so many different areas. And I think the, the genius and the beauty of Gonzaga is it, it knows who it is and it, 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 it's at the core of it. It doesn't change, but yet it's, it's always pushing the boundaries and, and push, pushing the edges. And like when I played here, it was all flex, you know, we didn't set ball screens, you know, and now we're a, we're a ball screen based offense. And um, when I played here, you know, we weren't great defensively. Um, that was always kind of the knock on us come tournament time. And, now, kind of each and every year, they're Gonzaga's top ten, you know, in, in in defense. So it is this 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 beauty of knowing who you are, but yet also kind of pushing the boundaries and looking to to grow and, and evolve. And I think he's he's mastered that that balance better than anyone. Well, you finally made it back here after I don't know how many years, ten years, we'll say, and we get you here back in Spokane. We sucked you back in, and then you left. How hard was that? Yeah, that was one of the. That was one of the toughest choices I've I've ever had to make um, in in my career, and you know I thought when I came here as director of operations that you know this would be one of my my last stops, and and just kind of maybe see if an opportunity would open up way down the road here, and um, it was really really tough for me to leave, and um, I really leaned on Brian Michelson and Tommy Lloyd, and and they were both like, hey, you've you've got to do it. Um, I also really leaned on John Jacobs, who had kind of just gone through the same thing, you know, leaving the director of operations role here to go be on the road and be an assistant at Baylor. And they're like, hey, you're a basketball coach. You've, you've got to do it. And I literally called Brad Underwood um, two days before I was supposed to go to town. I was like, I, I, I don't think I can do it. I, I don't think I can leave. Um, I love Gonzaga, you know, like, and I'd worked so hard even just to become the director of operations here. And, you know, we had a good long talk and I was like, okay, um, I'll, I'll do it. And, but even going to the airport, I was literally bawling, like literally crying and, and questioning whether I was doing the right thing and telling my wife, are, are we doing the right thing? We're moving again. We're moving back across country. And people kind of forget, you know, Illinois was coming off winning 12 games and 14 games. Um, the program was not in great shape. And, um, so that was always kind of the back of my mind, but, um, again, it's just funny how things work out. If I don't take that job, who's to say I get, you know, the open spot here when, when Tommy leaves, but it was incredibly hard to leave here to go to Illinois. And you go from a 12 or 14 win season to you were a number one seat in the tournament last year. That's amazing. Tell me about that program maybe in comparison to here, what are some of the similarities, the strengths, maybe some of the differences? Yeah. I mean, I think the similarities are it's, it's an incredibly passionate fan base. Um, I think, you know, two basketball schools, basketball driven programs with just incredible fan bases. Other than that, there weren't many similarities when I first got there. Um, again, coming off 12 wins, 14 wins, 
culture was not in a good place. Our style of play was not in a good place. Just how we operated on a daily basis was not how a program should have been ran. And, and I think that's a big reason why Coach Underwood brought me brought me in there and, and brought me back. And, and, and I say this glowingly, like we started then kind of injecting some of the Gonzaga way of, of doing things, even just to how we watched film and how we worked out. And then we eventually kind of even stylistically became ball screen based and became like Gonzaga, you know, playing up tempo and, and playing with flow. And it's funny, um, the end of my second year, um, Jim Meehan called me, you know, the longtime, you know, Spokane beat writer. And he's like, hey, I've been watching Illinois quite a bit and you guys look like Gonzaga. And it was like after, you know, um, half of a year there, you know, we, we kind of injected a lot of those, those, those Gonzaga ideas and, and we didn't have a single play call that was the same as Gonzaga, but just in terms of being ball screen based and really teaching your players how to play the game instead of being robots and plays. And it kind of all just clicked together this past year. We had an incredible year, um, won the big 10 tournament. We're a number one seed. We finished second in the big 10 again. Um, in our two years there, we actually led the Big Ten in wins. So I, and I say that with a lot of pride, just uh, my two years there, just the amount that we were able to accomplish as a staff. Um, again, going in, winning 12 and 14 to then, you know, being one of the best teams in the Big Ten or number one seed was, was something I, uh, I, I, I see a lot of pride in that. Well, now we're taking you and all that awesome experience from all those different places around the country. And we got you back here to Spokane to help our players hopefully win a national championship. Tell me about the uh, skill training piece of it, the work ethic piece. What do you see with our guys that maybe is unique compared to other places? You know, is it uh, the amount of time they spend in the gym? Is it the uh, type of work they're doing? Or is this kind of status quo at all different levels or all different places? Yeah, I think all the programs, because I have been fortunate to be at, you know, all winning programs. You know, I think I've been in college coaching for 14 years. You know, I've been a part of NCAA tournament teams, you know, 12 of those 14. So I don't think there's anything that like really, really stands out. Cause I, again, I think I've been a part of good programs. The one thing though, that does jump out though, in terms of just working with the players this summer is just the, the level of feel and, and IQ for the game. I remember we were, we were doing a little ball screen breakdown drill last week and, just the level of execution was probably where we were at like year two at Illinois. And it's like, wow, these guys already get it. And a lot of them were, were, were young players, you know, new players. And so I think the level of feel, um, the level of IQ certainly stands out. Obviously that's where the staff's done a tremendous job in recruiting, you know, recruiting those types of players that know how to play, you know, play the, play the game. But, and I think too, this place just has, you know, just a, a little bit, higher of an expectation of, of, of excellence, you know, to where it's not just about just making the tournament, you know, it's, Hey, final fours and now national championships. So I think the expectations, um, compared to some of the other places I've been, have been, you know, even, even higher. So you have little ones at home. If you have one of your kids that loves basketball, how do you see yourself helping them? What kind of advice would you give them? How would you help steer them and, and help foster that, that journey? Yeah, so I've got you know, a seven-year-old daughter and a, a two-year-old boy. My daughter is getting more into soccer right now, which I know nothing about. Um, we still have our backyard battles. But 
you know, I think there would be some people to be like, Hey, as a college coach, you probably need to take a step back, you know, and not, not coach your kids or, you know, not work out with them. And I don't know. I just think the opposite, like I worked so hard and, 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 and God gave me this passion for basketball. Uh, why wouldn't I want to share that with, with my kids? And, and, and yeah, of course, maybe, um, you know, my two-year-old son doesn't get into it as much as, as I did. And they don't, they don't have to play high school. They don't have to play college. But I think for me to not share that passion and that joy with them, I think I would be doing them a disservice. Now, it's going to be tough for me as a coach, you know, to kind of um, tiptoe that line of, of, of not getting, you know, too overzealous and wanting to work with them. But um, that's for my wife. My wife actually played in college. She played at Oklahoma State too. So she's kind of always worked with my daughter too on on her shot and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I think that the initial outlook would be, Hey, don't, don't get involved with your kids in basketball because you are a coach. And I, I think the opposite, I think I would want to share in that joy with them. Well, and you just have such a unique experience of having that walk on career really go full circle to where you might credit it for your position here today. What, what, what advice would you give to all these high schoolers that are looking to walk on to the next level. Do you have any good words of wisdom for them? Yeah, I mean, I would say all, you got to be ready, you know, for when your opportunity, you know, comes about. Um, obviously, that takes a lot of work um, in, in the shadows and, and, and behind the scenes. And I know it's cliche, but like just keep barreling through those doors. Um, multiple people are going to tell you no. Some of you might even be in your own family, you know, and just to keep barreling down those doors and to always stay ready and to not be afraid of, of what I call working in the dark, you know, I mean, just putting in work with absolutely no credit. And I think that's, and that's for a lot of levels of basketball. I think all these players today, they want to work, but then they want the attention immediately um, or the gratification or the results immediately. And I think as a walk-on, it is so much work um, behind the scenes with literally no one seeing, no credit, no gratification. But eventually, it's it's going to shine. You know, at some point, you're gonna you're gonna break through. I mean, I remember, I mean, the amount of shots that I got up in that gym with no one in there or with one person in there um, before I finally made my first three in a game with fans in the stands. I mean, it's that ratio is incredible so I, I would say that don't don't give up don't take no for an answer and don't be afraid to work in the shadows i love it man so fun to have you here and with your family here and it's nice our wives are friends they were hanging out i think the other night so it's just going to be so cool to be able to watch you take our program to the next level uh where can our listeners find out more about you yeah you know i'm on i'm on Twitter, um, Coach S. Gentry. I kind of post from time to time just basketball related or leadership um, related things. So you can definitely follow me there. And um, that's about it. Now that's a wrap on episode 96. And I hope you'll join me next week where we dive into nutrition. Now, as you all know by now, I'm halfway through my year of studying Dr. Berardi and precision nutrition. And so fueling athletes' bodies is on the top of my mind every day. And while there's endless information to learn about sports nutrition, what our athletes need to know is really simple. So tune in next week and get actionable advice to help you fuel your body on and off the court. And all of you who are committed will earn your X.